...submarine directly underneath the keel of the great behemoth before he dropped his main charge. Otherwise the damage he would inflict would not be sufficient to sink the steel monster. Keep her as slow as you can, he said to engine room artificer third class Charlie Reed, who was at the helm steering and controlling the engine. Aye, aye, sir, he replied. Sub-Lieutenant William Kiwi Smith, the sub's second-in-command, worked the hydroplanes to control the submarine's depth and direction. Ordinarily, he was a cheerful New Zealander, but his face was now a mask of deep concentration as he stared fixedly at the dials and gauges in front of his seat. The run-in was almost silent, with only the gentle hum of the propeller and the electric motor that was driving it breaking the quiet. Suddenly there was a bang as the XE-3's bow struck the bottom of the channel, the crew lurching forward and grabbing pipework and fittings to steady themselves, followed by loud scraping noises as the submarine's keel bumped through the mud and debris. Smith had a difficult time keeping the little submarine on course as she crashed, dragged, and scraped along just thirteen feet below the surface of the crystal-clear Johor Strait. Fraser, using the night periscope that was designed for underwater work, could see the water's surface from below moving like a wrinkled and winking pane of glass, growing gradually darker as the submarine came into the Takao's great shadow. Suddenly, something scraped noisily down the XE-3's starboard side, a sound alarmingly like giant fingernails being drawn down a huge blackboard, followed seconds afterwards by a violent crash as the submarine struck the Takao's hull with a reverberating thud. "'Stop the motor!' yelled Fraser, wincing at the noise. Reed immediately shut off the engine. Inside the XE-3, the collision had sounded loud enough to wake the dead. But the Takao's main belt of armour around her waist, designed to absorb the impact of torpedoes, was up to five inches thick. The collision had probably gone unnoticed aboard the warship. "'I wonder where the hell we are,' muttered Fraser almost to himself." The submarine's position didn't feel right. He could see nothing through the underwater periscope. It felt as though the boat was too far towards the Takao's bow, and Fraser suspected that the heavy scraping noise that they had heard had come from one of the cruiser's thick anchor cables. Fraser decided to back away and line up for another run-in. "'Port thirty, he ordered. "'Half ahead, group down.' The electric motor whirred and the propeller turned faster, the submarine beginning to vibrate as the revolutions increased. But the XE-3 did not move. "'Half a head group down!' repeated Fraser, his face sheened with sweat. He began issuing a stream of orders as he vainly tried to move the submarine from under the Takao, but the XE-3 stubbornly refused to budge. Fraser, panic starting to rise almost uncontrollably inside of him, realized that his submarine was trapped. Four men inside a tiny XE craft made of only quarter-inch thick steel and loaded down with enough explosives to sink a battleship were trapped beneath 15,500 tons of enemy warship deep inside Japan's most prized harbor. Because the submarine had arrived later than planned, with each passing minute the tide was ebbing away, and the Takao was settling lower and lower into the channel, its vast keel pushing down upon the XE-3. Fraser, hardly pausing for breath, 
continued to give orders to the helm and engine. Group down, half ahead, he called for what seemed like the thousandth time. But his orders were met only by the sound of the propeller spinning impotently and the whine of the motor as it sucked more juice from its two big batteries. Christ, she's not budging, Touch, exclaimed Kiwi Smith, his voice betraying his fear. Full astern, said Fraser. The air inside the submarine was almost unbearable, and the pressure of the situation made that air feel even thicker and more noxious than a few minutes before. Still, the XE-3 refused to move. Fraser's eyes darted about the submarine's narrow interior blankly as his mind raced through options and drills. As he listened to the propeller, his wife Melba's face suddenly came to him, his pregnant wife back home in England. How in the hell did I get myself into this? he thought angrily.